welcome to All Together Sunday. Uh, we try to do this, well, we don't try, we do it every month. Uh, the first Sunday of the month is All Together, where all the kiddos are up here, except for maybe a few lucky VIP kiddos that have diapers on that, are, that might be downstairs. But welcome, kids, to Big, Big People Church. We're glad to have you. And also, you know, it'll probably be a little bit, uh, you know, a little, bit, a little more movement, maybe, more, more uh, crowd participation than, than normal Sundays, and that's okay. So parents, you can feel free to just relax and, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, when you think of a Jesus follower, uh, what, what comes to mind? I feel like this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like what, what, when we think of a disciple of Jesus, what, what, what is it that comes to mind and what does the Bible tell us? Um, when, you, when you look at people who follow Jesus or uh, perhaps in our culture, a more common term is Christian, uh, it, it seems that it has more to do with, you know, don't drink, cuss, or smoke, or vote a certain way. Um, you, you know, these, uh, the, these certain kind of lifestyle choices that, if you will, mark the, the, a follower of Jesus. And uh, we talked about in our member meeting last Sunday that the deacons and I, we really want to kind of gather us as a church family around this term, follow Jesus together. So we want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus together. And just as like a starting point, because we can look at all of Jesus's teaching and there's a lot, there's just a, you know, a life, more than a lifetime's worth of goodness in there. Uh, as a starting point, one of the things that Jesus says, one of the most, I think, perhaps significant commands from Jesus is do not worry about your life. And today we're going to look at praying our anxiety as we continue going through the Psalms and looking at how, how do we deal with our emotions according to According to scripture, according to God's design for our emotions, he's, he, was, he didn't like create humans and be like, oh no, they're so emotional, what do I do? Uh, he gave us those emotions and he shows us how to handle them. And so the cry of my heart as we look at this psalm and also some passages from Jesus' teaching is that we would, uh, we would feel God's invitation into a non-anxious way of life, that we would be a church community, a church family, uh, that one of the, the qualities that we embody as a community, like in real life, is this, this peaceful, non-anxious presence. Uh, to me, that's a really beautiful picture, of, especially in contrast to our like, ever-increasing anxious society that we're in, uh, with just all the fear-mongering and everything that go, goes out there um, through the increased uh, media and information that we can have that just increases our anxiety. So... The, the prayer is that we, we would hear the invitation uh, from God into uh, a non-anxious presence. And when we look at uh, praying our emotions, I believe a, a lot of the sins that uh, might be sort of uh, on the surface or fruit sins, if you will, can really stem from a root of not knowing how to handle our emotions. Uh, so, for example, uh, lust, if you will, is something that uh, a lot of us struggle with. Uh, especially with the prevalence of pornography just being very easy to, to access, that, that's kind of one of those things that can be categorized as a fruit sin, kind of like a surface-level sin that, in my limited experience, seems to always come from a deeper emotional source, that if you just were to attack that, it would be like uh, trying to take all the apples off a tree. Like every fall, more apples are going to come up because there's some root stuff going on. And so, for example, anxiety, lust, lust and looking at pornography can be kind of like a, 
like a checkout button, just like an oblivion button where you just don't have to think about anything any, anymore. And so you see the issue there. It's, it's a sin against God's design for sexuality, but it ultimately it's coming from a place of emotional uh, dysfunction or emotional unhealth. And so that's why I, I hope that as we look at anxiety in particular, this is something I don't think, feel like any of us are like immune from. Like, oh yeah, I'm not really anxious. Uh, that we would see, we'd see some, some root causes to some of the, the behaviors that we don't like uh, in, in our life. The main thing that I hope that we see today as we look at praying our anxiety, I think the main thing that the psalm is showing us, Psalm 27 is showing us, is that we can be free from anxiety. I believe God's message for us today is that we do not have to be stuck in anxiety, but that we can be free from it. Not all at once, not a magic pill. We're not going to fix it today necessarily, but having anxiety is not what Jesus wants for you. The king of the universe does not want you to be anxious. It's not what he desires for your life. He calls us, he commands us, do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious. And so the question for us today as we look at anxiety is to what degree do we want to see less anxiety in our life? To what degree do, do we want to be free from it? The question is not can we be free from anxiety, but how badly do we want to be free from anxiety? It's kind of like the, the weight loss question. It's not a question of can you lose weight, but how badly do you, do you want to? How, how much are you willing to change your life in order to to bring, bring about those, those results. So those, those are kind of the, the, the two things I want us to meditate on. First, it's hear God saying you don't have to be anxious. And also, chew on the question, to what degree do I really want to be free from my anxiety? To kick off our time before we dive into our psalm, I want to kind of just set the tone uh, with Jesus' words on anxiety. This is in... Matthew 6, uh, verse 25, page 1505, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles. Hear the word of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So we see clearly in, in the key teaching from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that he calls us to not be, not be anxious and even appeals to our reason. Just consider your own limitations. What good are you even doing in your anxiety? So that said, we have anxiety. Let's look at how we are called to pray it, to deal with our anxiety. The first thing we see that when we pray our anxiety, this miracle happens, this transformation happens in our thoughts, in our minds, where our what-ifs turn into even-ifs. Look at me at our sermon text. Look at verses um, 1 through 3. David writes, The Lord is the light of my salvation, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil man against advance against me to devour my flesh when enemies 
When my enemies and my foes attack, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And then flip over to, uh, or skip down to verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So what David's doing here is he is taking his anxieties, which is which in his case was evil men advancing against him to devour his flesh, enemies attacking him, an army besiege him under attack. He says, he doesn't say, what if this happens? And he doesn't stay in the vortex. He says, even if that happens, my heart will not fear. Even then, I will be confident. Even if these things happen, I will be confident. And even something as tender as a father and mother's Love, in verse 10, he said, Even if, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. We don't have any record of David's parents actually forsaking him. It might have happened, but we don't have any record of that. But he's saying, even if this, he was like, what is the most like, secure, safe place, theoretically, Lord willing, in our lives? You know, it could be our mother and father. And he said, even if that happens, the Lord will receive me. You might be noticing a trend as we go through these different emotions, but the first thing we see is a, uh, is a labeling of our anxiety. The first thing we see about praying our anxiety is that we tell them to God. We say them out loud. We write them down. We, we acknowledge our anxieties. And that might seem kind of obvious, maybe, but I think we have, in our society, a general posture of repression towards our anxiety. And there's, a, there's kind of a progressive liberal version, and then there's kind of like a conservative fundamentalist version. The progressive version of, of repression when it comes to anxiety is happy thoughts, positive thoughts. Don't think about bad things. Visualize the life you want, and don't think about the life you don't want, and it will happen to you. We see here in the text that that is not the way God calls us to, to pray. He doesn't say, ignore the anxieties, don't mention them, repress them, just think happy thoughts. But then there's this sadly kind of a Christian-y Bible version of repression that's honestly kind of anti-relation. It's kind of withdrawal where you just kind of slap, you know, God's sovereign, God's in control. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to kind of disconnect from what I feel like using a doctrine of God being in control, which is true and good, praise God for his sovereignty, to, but it's like an excuse to not be intimate with him, to not bring what's actually on our heart. Kind of using a, a, a doctrine or a truth to not have to deal with what we are feeling. You see how, how kind of both sides, it's, it's unbelievable to me the more I've thought about this, how both kind of liberal, progressive, and conservative, they agree on so many different things, and both are great repressors. And we see in the middle is the way of Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 is the Apostle Paul talking about anxiety. He says very clearly, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says it even more clear. Don't be anxious. Instead, just bring it all to God. Say them all to God with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. I think it's important to note, as much as we love community and want to build friendships here, we start with God. We first take our anxieties to God, not others first and foremost. There is a place to share what we're struggling with with others. We're 
huge fans of that here. But first and foremost, we see that we pray our anxiety by saying them either out loud or just letting them kind of come into the spotlight, into our attention, not ignoring them and saying, God, I am anxious about this. I'm worried about this. And this is so beautiful because this is, this is God inviting us, even you could say commanding us to need grace because having anxiety is disobeying Jesus. He says, don't worry about your life. We know that anxiety is a sin, but God calls us to tell it to him. God loves us in grace because Jesus was not anxious for us. We can tell him our anxieties. In both forms of repression is a resistance to need grace, a resistance to see our weakness, to see kind of the crazy places we go in our heads and our anxiety. And part of telling our anxieties to God, David shows us uh, the, the transformation of the what-ifs. The, the what if my enemies and my foes attack me? What if an army besiege me? What if my parents forsake me? And he turns to them, even if that happens, the Lord will receive me. Even then, I will be confident. We see that when we process our anxieties according to Scripture, in an intimate relationship with a Father who loves us by grace, our what-ifs are transformed into even-ifs. We can stare our what-ifs in the face and say, even if that happens, I'll be okay. The next, the next logical question is how? How does this transformation happen? That's the next point. Praying our anxiety shows us our one thing. Our what-ifs become even-ifs when our one thing is the right one thing. Look at verse 4, 5, and 6. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David's one thing that he says so clearly for us is to be with God, as God himself, to dwell in God's house, to gaze upon God's beauty, and to seek him, inquire of him in his temple. Now this one thing idea, uh, while it's very in vogue now, there's lots of books about essentialism, and I think there's even a book called One Thing out there. And we see that it's not a new idea, that this idea of a singular driving passion, a singular treasure or desire is, is what it means to be a human. That scripture shows us that. And what we see here is that our anxiety is directly related to the fragility of our one thing. Our anxiety is directly related to how fragile our one thing, our treasure is. So the, the more vulnerable our one thing is, the, the more anxious we're going to be because there's more risk that our, our treasure, the thing that we want the most, uh, will be destroyed. 
And so if our one thing is God himself, who is eternal, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then we have some hope against anxiety. One author said it like this, anxiety is like smoke. We can follow it down to where the broken desires of our souls are, but to, to the fire uh, or implosion of the false gods in our hearts. So when anxiety pops up, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fruit level sin. It's like on the, it's on the outside and we can follow it down to the collapse or implosion of a false god, a false one thing, a fragile treasure that can't stand up to, to real life. Our anxiety is directly related to the fragility of our treasure. And these treasures, these, these one things, these alternate one things, if you will, most of the time are not some kind of you know, egregious sin like a, a meth addiction or, or something like that. A lot of times they're good things. They're God's things, things that God has given us, things that God created for us to enjoy. But the problem is we make them our one thing, the, the thing that we want the most. All of our anxiety comes from wrongly ordered desires. It's not that we might want bad things. It's that we want good things in the wrong order. We want good things before the best thing, which is God himself. Our anxiety comes from that idea that we, we might not say out loud that much, but it's that, that idea that unless I have that, I cannot be happy. Unless I am able to get pregnant or unless we hit this amount of income or whatever it is. Unless I have that, I cannot be happy. That shows us uh, a, a false God or a, a false one thing. Flip back to Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, fifteen, page 1505. Let, G, let Jesus show us this idea of the one thing in his words. If nothing else, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, just be curious about what your one thing is. If your one thing doesn't pop into your mind right now, don't worry, it's there. And just be curious about what it is. Ask God to show that to you. Jesus says in Matthew 6, <clears throat> starting in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, right after those words, what, is, what does Jesus say next? Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do you see that, that connection? He's talking about these treasures. He's talking about the one thing where you store up treasure on earth or what, the, what captivates your eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eyes are good, if your eyes are taking in good, then the rest of you will be that way. And then he addresses money. You cannot serve both God and money. And then right after that, right after talking about literal fragile treasures, 
Don't store up treasures where it can, it can be stolen or will, where it will decay by rust. He says, therefore, don't worry. So I hope you see that this idea of a treasure, of a one thing that f- captivates our hearts and minds, that, that we want more than anything else, seems to be pretty, pretty core to the human experience, even if you connect it with what Jesus says is the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what, of our, what are some of our one things? Just a brief overview, a diagnostic of what are some of the one things that can, can sneak into our hearts uh, and, and kick, out, kick out God as our one thing. The first one uh, we just read, which is money. You can't serve two masters. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's so sneaky, especially when you do what I do, where I'm like, well, if I get more of it, then I can do more stuff for God. I can do more God stuff with money, which is a complete rejection of dependency and everything that Jesus says marks the life of a Christian. He doesn't say be financially independent so that then you can serve him better. He says be like a child and depend on me all the time for everything. So money is, is very sneaky, especially because, it, A, it's not a bad thing. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. And because as Christians, we should take our money seriously. We should steward it well. We should be generous with it. We should be wise, leveraging it for the kingdom. But you can see how it can kind of sneak in there and be the one thing. The next one. Flip over to Matthew 10, page 1512. Here we go. This is Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is just putting his line in the sand over and against our family. Some of the sweetest blessings we can receive from God himself is, is good parents, a spouse, a son and daughter. And again, these are these are good things. It's not, again, an egregious sin but it's actually a gift from God. It's our family, our children, our parents. And God's saying, if you, <laughs> Jesus is saying, if you love those more than me, you can't, you can't be my disciples. You can't follow me. You are not one of my followers. And you can see this in sneaky ways because obviously we want to take good care of our, our wives and our marriages and our children we don't want to sacrifice family on, on the altar of, you know, church service, uh, church participation. There's lots of horror stories about that. But to what degree does your family or does church or to life with God take a back seat to, to our families, to what we do um, in our extended family, with our kids? To what degree do we allow our kids to go without something that society might say they need in order to participate in life with God? And then the last one, verse 39. 
of Matthew 10. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake is, is the, the one thing of comfort. Are we willing to, to give up our comfort, the right to have things the way that we like, to take up our cross, take up our execution device and follow Jesus, even if we are going to be uncomfortable? So what, what's your one thing? These are some that I think are pretty common uh, in, in our church, common in my own heart. Follow, follow, kind of follow the smoke. It's one of the ways that our loving Father redeems our anxiety is we can use it to follow it down, to follow the trail down to our one thing, and then we can confess that to God, confess our broken desires to God. Because God is the only immovable and vulnerable one thing. Nothing can take God away from you. And the degree to which we actually start to experience God as our one thing is the degree to which we begin to live this non-anxious presence, this, this place of peace out into the world. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul. You just couldn't touch that guy because his one thing was a treasure. If you threatened to kill him, he'd be like, to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you put him in jail, he would just sing songs about Jesus and convert all the guards and other prisoners. If you beat him within a lash of his life, within an inch of his life, he would say, what a joy it is to suffer with my King and Savior Jesus. He was completely invulnerable, and he suffered more than probably all of us combined, and it was because, and he was able to do that because his treasure was, was God himself. So how do we, how do we kind of take this by the horns? How do we put this to practice in our life? Well, one thing that's really struck me as we've gone through these psalms talking about emotions is how much they, they seem to end in action. They seem to end with a, a call to change the way we live. So we're praying, we're bringing our emotions before God, we're letting our emotions then change our behavior out into the world. And I think it's a beautiful paradigm to see that, say that prayer leads to action. When we pray our emotions... Our actions are then framed in light of what God says is true. And so when it comes to anxiety, frame, uh, prayer, praying them, frames our actions. Not to develop this like huge three-ring binder of contingency plans to avoid any bad thing that might happen. But instead, the psalm shows us ways that we can treasure the indestructible treasure of God himself. The ways that our one thing can be God We see that in verse 4. Flip back to our psalm. Verse 4, David writes, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So we see here that God being his one thing means his presence. That David is talking about actually experiencing the presence of God. There's not just a list of doctrines that he's mastered, uh, or even, a, a, in a sense, a list of behaviors that he does, things he's memorized, or, you know, not to mention a way to vote or anything like that. It's God himself dwelling in the house of the Lord. 
So if that's the what, if that's the what of our one thing, he goes on to give us the how. There's two parts to the how. The first one is gaze. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You see that in verse... Um, let me find it. Hang on. I wrote the wrong one down. Yeah, in verse 8, it says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. There's this element of gazing that, da that David talks about. And this poetry here, what does it mean? This gazing means communion. It means deep fellowship. It's the, it's the difference between just knowing a fact or experiencing it. Uh, maybe a helpful example might be the difference between being a travel agent or a tour guide. A travel agent knows all the facts about going on a cruise in the Bahamas. But a tour guide on the boat that takes you snorkeling, he's lived there for years and has smelled the water and dove in and seen all the animals that you're going to see on your tour Gazing upon God means that we've actually experienced it. It means to turn your imagination over to it. I don't know if you've caught yourself doing this, but we just have incredible capacity for imagining, for, for daydreaming, for incredible fantasies about what will happen if this happens or, or when our lives look a certain way. We dream about a job. We dream about a different relationship. We dream about uh, our kids being at a different stage or, or whatever. And we see that gazing upon God means turning our imagination over to what would it be like to actually be with him? What would my life actually look like? One, one question of gazing that God has put on my heart for about, I don't know, a year now is what would, what would your life look like if you actually trusted me? He's not mad at me that I struggle to trust him. He's just saying, like, let's just imagine. Let's just gaze upon the beauty of living life as a trusting child. How, how might you feel right now at 3 in the morning not being able to sleep if you actually trusted me? Practically, consider what fills your imagination. Consider what where your daydreams go. Consider what uh, movies and music and just input you put into your mind and, and how that shapes your imagination. There was one time I was watching a show about these two guys trying to start businesses in New York City. It was this real fast-paced mo movie. They're like feasting with their friends at night, starting businesses, and that was like a very unhelpful imagination for my heart, being a pastor in a small town and seeking to be like Jesus, because that's, that's kind of my crack cocaine, is like starting businesses and doing everything really fast all the time. And so the show in itself wasn't a sin, but it was, it was gazing on a different one thing. It was gazing on uh, something that didn't help me treasure treasure God. The next, next way we dwell in the house of the Lord is at the end of verse 4 there. It says, to seek him in his temple. This idea of seeking, the Hebrew word is very rich. Uh, so your Bibles might have inquire. It has this idea of dropping everything to go and get counsel and obey it. You could kind of think of it, I found this a helpful analogy, like when you lose your keys, how do, when you need to get to work and you can't find your keys, what is your posture towards seeking them out? You, you stop everything and you flip the whole house upside down to try to find the keys because you, you can't do anything until you find them, until you have sought them and found them. Verse 11 says, 
Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. The psalm is showing that as we pray our anxiety, we deal with the emotion of anxiety, we also have a, a way to live that will address our anxiety. So we seek to know God's ways and obey them. And the gazing and seeking is really important. I don't know which side you might fall on. There's kind of different brands, if you will, of Christianity that are all about just gazing in the secret and the quiet place uh, and just want, want that experience. And then there's other just go-getter kind of brands where they just want to seek and obey and do all the ways of the Lord. And you've got to have both. A great example is marriage. I think when we, we think about regular relationships, we will see that you need both. Because in marriage, Lord willing, there's a gazing, there's a beholding, there's a enjoying the presence of our beloved and then there's a, a practical serving. If you want to experience love and you tell your wife, baby, I just want to gaze. I just want to gaze at your beauty. And she's like, well, could you unload the dishwasher? No, I just, I just want to gaze at your beauty. I'm not into that. I don't really want to do those chores because I'm trying to gaze right now. It's not going to be a very intimate relationship. Conversely, What would, it, what would it be like if I never talked to her? I never sat with her. I never prayed with her. But I was just blazing all around the house in tip-top shape, which if you know me, is not the case. Also, our intimacy would die. So we, we need to gaze and we need to seek in God. We need times of being with him, gazing upon who he is, and we need time uh, embodying that, embodying our life with him through living the way he calls us to. And I want to put this idea out there. I pray... Uh, that it is helpful as an understanding of what disciplines are, in particular spiritual disciplines. Because if, you, if you're like me and you look at the anxiety in your heart and you're, you read Jesus saying, don't do it, you're like, okay, <laughs> I'll try, I guess. You know, like I, it's, it's not super encouraging. But a discipline, and this makes sense in real life, is, is something that's in my power to do that will enable me to do something that I can't do by direct effort. So if you told me to go do 20 push-ups and I just went and tried to do it, I actually just tried this. I can do three. Yeah, there, that's, that's my shame. I can only do three, three uh, did I push-ups? I meant pull-ups. I can do more than three push-ups. Um, <laughs> that was super embarrassing. Um, I can do four push-ups, easy. So. Or if you said, hey, learn, learn to play some Beethoven on the piano, and I just sat down in front of the music and just tried to do it, like, by direct effort, I can't do 20 pull-ups. By direct effort, I can't play Beethoven. But little efforts, over time, I can do as many pull-ups as I can, and then I will slowly get stronger. Or if I learn to read music, that would be a great first step into playing Beethoven. So discipline is, is this like unbelievable, empowering thing where we can just like totally uh, push the, the goal down the road and not feel any guilt or shame that we can't do it, and we just chip away at it. And so let's try this with, with anxiety. What would it look like to practice, to, to seek God in such a way that it addresses our anxiety? And I, I pr again, I just pray this is helpful, this is, that this is practical. Because if you wake up tomorrow and you're like, this is it. I'm not going to be anxious today. I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to try really hard not to be anxious. But you stayed up late binging on a show, 
that maybe was like the one that I watched that just had me wanting to do everything but my, my regular life and start businesses. And then you, you sleep late and you rush out the door. You don't get a good lunch and you're running late for work and you're stuck in traffic. You're furious that you're going to be late. You're furious at the construction on 131, whatever it is. And you get there and your boss comes in who's also having a bad day and just says something that, that rubs you wrong. And all of a sudden you're just spiraling into, oh man, they, they don't like me. It was because I was two minutes late. I'm, I'm going to lose my job. Then you, you get to lunch and you just work through lunch because you're like, well, I got to not lose, not lose my job. And you work a little bit late. You get home and your spouse is upset that you worked late and you didn't call, but you're too busy to think about the call. And you can see just like, this is maybe an exaggerated example, but just trying you know, might get you to 8.30 in the morning. But instead, if we can just put the non-anxious presence down the road and know that, know that we have the power of Jesus inside of us to, to live that way, and then we just seek to live in practices that will help us get there. So maybe that is a little less TV. Maybe that is waking up a little bit early. What if when your alarm woke off, you went off and you woke up you didn't grab your phone and scroll through all the fear-mongering on Facebook but instead you just grabbed a book of Psalms and and read Psalm Psalm 23 let's just start with the coffee cup verses the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want you start your day with that with a moment of stillness how might that shape your whole day one one pastor that I've been listening to talks about winning the day or the first 40 he talks about winning the first 40 minutes of your day like can you set your first 40 minutes up to be making space to make God your one thing and then you you get to work and your your mind might be a little bit more calm you receive you receive your boss's weird comment not with anxiety but asking him like hey how are you doing you seem a little you seem a little frazzled today and then he shares with you and, and now you're on mission now you're being the presence of Christ and you're not anxious presence because you actually have space to receive people around you and then at your lunch break you uh, instead of uh, just watching a show or getting fast food you just you work in some stillness five minutes a five minute walk of stillness how might that change the the structure of our day and I hope that's helpful to you, because again, if, you just, if you're telling me, hey, Josh, wake up tomorrow and just have no anxiety, that's not super encouraging. That, that feels like trying to play Beethoven. But if you're like, wake up a little bit early, enjoy some coffee and God's word, like, okay, I, that's within my power. And, by the, and the beautiful gift of the, the Holy Spirit is that he uses little things in our power to bring about miracles like a non-anxious presence. So just consider the rhythms of your life and, and which one thing they're pointing you to and what rhythms you might be able to take on this week. One simple rhythm. Maybe it's a, a five-minute lunchtime stillness session where you just, for five minutes at lunch, you just stop. Maybe it's when your husband gets home, you just go for a 15-minute walk away from your precious children that you love so much at that moment. Maybe for some of us who are introverts and being around other people is super hard and we kind of get stuck in our head with our own thoughts and stuff. Maybe it's finding someone that you could meet with, a couple people you could meet with every week or every other week uh, to, to kind of draw you out of your, 
shell and speak truth to you, to point you to the one thing. One of the beautiful things about the psalm is, is how much it, it points us to Jesus. When David says, the one thing I ask that I want is to dwell in the house of God, it's kind of weird for David to be write, writing that then because the place where God dwelled in the holy temple was called the Holy of Holies. And there was one man who could go into that place once a year on a very specific day in a very specific way in a hope that he didn't die, the hope that the holiness of God didn't kill him. But Jesus says in John 2, 19, he tells, he tells his haters, the church people of the day, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it had taken 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. If we want to gaze upon the beauty of God, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. We want the most loving person who ever lived, who loved us literally to death. Do we want to seek God, seek to live in his ways, to learn his ways? We do that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 15, uh, if, you obey, if you obey my commands, you will abide in my love. Not that we earn his love by obeying, but that we experience his love by obeying. And so consider the beauty of Jesus who lived the perfect non-anxious life for us and in his mercy gives us his word to show us the way to live. And lastly, let's wait for him. Let's, let's wait. This, again, this is not a fix it tomorrow kind of thing, but let's wait on the Lord. Give ourselves space and grace. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord who will by the power of the Spirit, make us non-anxious followers of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, come before you and just feel our, our huge need for you. Father, would you...